no way to decide partway through, I wish I would have done something else because you have already made your choice. These guys already made their choice. They're falling, and that's it. The outcome is going to be whatever it is, uh, no matter what they try to do from that point on. We are going to be in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It is the story of the, uh, the rich man of Lazarus. Now, I can't call it a parable, and I can't say that it is not a parable, because I just don't know. It has a lot of qualities of a parable, because it has real-life situations. It has a rich man and a poor man. That's something that people of that day could look and say, I, I can recognize that. I can see that there's rich people and that there are poor people. But you also have this other issue of when we die, uh, before we get to heaven, uh, there's, there's Hades and there's paradise, and can they see each other at that point? I don't know, because this is the only place in Scripture where I can find that it talks about that. So I can't say it's a parable. I can't say that it's really the way it's going to be. But that's not even the point of the message. The point of the message is choose Jesus before it's too late. Can everybody say that with me, please? Choose Jesus before it's too late. So that's our take-home truth uh, that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, verses 19 through 21. It says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked up his sores. We're going to be looking at the temporary life. We're going to be looking at the eternal life. Life is temporary. You know, if, if you're lucky, you get 70, you get 80, you get 90 years. But this life is not intended to last forever. And, and in, in this situation, his life isn't going to last forever either. You got the rich man, you got the poor man. We got two different people, two different qualities of life. Two different decisions, two different destinations uh, where they are going to end up. That's going to be kind of how we try to look at this today. So the first man, we're going to see the quality of the rich man's life. It says that in verse 19, he was dressed in purple. Now, I personally, I don't have anything against purple. My wife is actually wearing purple. Uh, but it's not something that you'll probably ever see me. And I think I'd rather wear pink because real men wear pink, right? Amen? Okay. See, but purple is just not one of those colors that I feel like, man, I just want to wear that color. But back in the day, it was a sign of luxury. It was a sign of prestige and of, of being rich, of honor, of importance. And this is what this guy wore every day or most every day, meaning, look at me, I am a rich person, and, I, and I'm willing to let everybody show that. Uh, the cost of the material might have been about $15 a pound, which when you, you pick up a shirt, you say, that's not very heavy. But with the fabric that they had, with the big robe that they would possibly be wearing, multiple uh, clothing, it's going to add up in a hurry. So this man was wearing purple. He was wearing a sign of, of being a rich person. And, and back in the day, that was always a sign of, of richness. When Jesus uh, was being uh, beaten and he was being persecuted for, before he died on the cross, the soldiers were mocking him. They made fun of him. They put on purple on him, and they, they, they were pretending to bow down and to worship him because it was a sign of royalty, and obviously they didn't take it seriously, but that's the way that they had treated him. They also wore fine linen. Now, I'm not going to try to, uh, it, I'll just say that it was the undergarments that they wore, okay? It was made out of a different material, but it was something that only the wealthy people wore. The average Joe, did, they would wear their regular one robe or whatever, but they didn't have the undergarments, so it would probably be more 
I would want, I would hope it'd be more like silk or cotton, something more comfortable, but I don't think they had that kind of material at that day. But anyway, the, the point is that this guy lived well. His quality of life was very high. He ate well. He'd be the guy who would eat the gourmet meals every day. He'd have servants who'd be cooking this. Back in that day, they didn't eat meat uh, more than like once a week, which I'm really glad I don't live back then because I really enjoy eating meat every day. I mean, God put that in me, and that was a blessing to be able to live in this time of life. Uh, but this guy would eat that every day. Back then, they would do it like once a week if they were lucky enough to do that. This guy had the best of whatever he could have of that day. Verse 25 says that in your lifetime, you had good things. I'm sure he had the best servants. He had the best furniture that they had. He would have the best camel. He would have uh, the best clothes. He had everything that his heart could desire, this guy had. So uh, this man's life is contrasted with the poor man. Am I going to get up here and say, shame on you because you have money? Shame on you because you have wealth. God does not want you to be happy. He does not want you to have money. It is a sin to dress well. It is a sin to have money. No, obviously not. If we look at the Old Testament, and there's multiple examples of people who had mucho dinero in the Bible, and it was okay. And you find out where did they get that from. They got that from God himself. So I just picked out a couple here. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses... Uh, 11 and 12, anybody have any idea who's in 2 Chronicles chapter 1 that might be really wealthy in the Bible? Solomon? Did I hear Solomon? Okay, it says, God said to Solomon, because this is when Solomon had his dream, and God says, what would you want if I would give you anything? He said, just give me the wisdom to lead your people well. Verse 11, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth or riches or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you ever will have. You think about the richest people that you've ever heard of, they didn't have wealth that compared to what Solomon had. Uh, the, the owner of the Seattle Seahawks died this week, he was owner of the Seahawks, of the Trailblazers, and he was also involved with Microsoft. I think he was like a partner in Microsoft. How much money do you think someone like that had? A lot of money. I mean, even for this loser team of the Seahawks, it was a lot of money. <laughs> Don't think that's too funny. <laughs> but it's like he didn't even compare to what Solomon had. And why did Solomon have what he had? Or why did he have it? Who gave it to him? God did, right? He says, this is what I want you to have. Is it wrong to have money? No. Is it wrong to dress well? No. In my opinion, it's wrong for me to wear purple, but that's it, okay? Uh, there's another guy named Job in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. You find that this guy is like, it's like becoming a millionaire twice or multiple times in his life. Job chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, does God fear Job for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. So this guy was, he had servants and he had animals and he had everything uh, that would make the average person happy, uh, but he only had that because God gave it to him. And then you find out he lost everything. He had like a servant left. He had 
uh, for this area, a servant left for this area. So he's down to nothing. But you find out in Job 42, verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donk donkeys. Okay, that is a lot of money. He, this guy is worth an awful lot. Why did Job have this? Because God gave it to him. So we're not talking about shame on you because you have money. Um, on the contrary, I think about people in this church and, and using the finances that they have well. Uh, I think about Ethan. Okay, when we got clothes for Ethan, I know some of those things were not cheap. If you did not have money, could you help us out that way? No. Um, there, there's the Iwana program. There's money that's donated for this, for the foxes. I know for the Iwana store, for our missionaries. If you did not have that, if you did not have wealth, could you use it for God? Could you use it the way that God's intended? No. So it's okay to use, uh, to have money. The problem is when we say money is the most important thing in my life. You know, money's all I'm, I'm driving at. Everything I have is based around how much I'm going to get from this. Then we have to start being a little bit more nervous about our feeling towards money. But if we're using the money that we have as God intended us to use it, then that's why he gave it to you, and you are blessed because you have it. And if we're not trusting and relying on our money, then that's okay. But once it becomes the most important thing in our life, that's when money starts to become the issue that we need to discuss uh, from, from wherever we're at. So there's nothing wrong with dressing well. And I look around, I see there's a lot of well-nice, I think pretty much everybody in here looks nice. Maybe say my... It's, it's just blanket statement, but I think everybody looks nice. I imagine everybody goes home is going to eat nice. People have nice cars, and all those kinds of things are good to have. God wanted to bless you with. That's one side of the spectrum. You have the rich man. Now we've got to look at the other side of the spectrum. We have the poor man. This poor man's name was Lazarus. He was, at a gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now, because I know that some people have Dr. David Jeremiah Bibles, I have one too. And so I thought, I'm going to look and see, what does he say about this? So that I can sound just as wise as what they're going to read. And what I found out from that is when they, when they were going to sit down Lazarus, you'd probably picture someone who's going to sit down, sit him down, make sure that he's comfortable. Right? This is a guy who's very sick. He's got all sorts of sores on his body. And he's, he needs some help. But this is more like, here, let's just dump him. Okay, so this is Lazarus' friends are like, here, let's dump him on our way to work. We're out of here. Okay? And that was, that's terrible, right? That's rude. How do you do that to somebody? But this guy was covered in sores. Well, duh. I mean, if you keep getting dumped over and over when your body is suffering, you're going to end up that way too. And all the sores that are trying to heal are not going to heal if you get treated that way. And he was, he just laid there all day long. He couldn't help himself. It says the dogs came and they licked his wounds. Now, you can say that's disgusting or you can say that's comforting. I don't know. But that's either the best of what he's got was what the dogs were willing to bless him with, trying to lick, lick his wounds, or you can say this guy was so weak he couldn't even defend himself from the dogs who were trying to devour him slowly. Okay, you just, you just had this guy who was just either so weak he couldn't protect himself or the only comfort he got was from the dogs. And he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now when I read this, I always picture, like, these are the crumbs that fell on the floor, we're going to sweep them out the door, and he's, like, you know, trying to pick up whatever he can eat because he's hungry, 
Uh, but it could possibly be that when, back in that day, they didn't have napkins the way that we do, so they would wipe their hands with a piece of bread, and then they would throw it on the floor. And so obviously that's going to be more substance than just little pieces of uh, crumbs, but it's not going to even be good to eat. If someone wipes their hands on a piece of bread, yeah, you should see Nick, Nicole's face is like, like, no way. Uh, but that was what he was hoping to eat because that's the situation he found himself in. He was miserable, he was poor, he was painful. Now, since we asked about the rich side of things, just be, uh, is it wrong to be rich? I want to go the other way and say, what about the poor person? Does the poor person, such as Lazarus, get a free ticket to heaven? Because you had it so bad on earth, does that mean you're automatically guaranteed a place to heaven? I wish it did, but it doesn't. Nobody gets that guarantee to heaven, whether you uh, were the Jew in the Bible or whether you went to church every day of your life or whether you uh, were the, the most givingest person or you were the poorest person who couldn't even think about helping somebody else. The only way through to heaven is for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There's nothing that we can do to get ourselves there. Okay, all it is is a gift that we're willing to take and we're going to say, okay, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, that you're going to get me there and you have eternal life. It's that simple. It is easier for the... the uh, poor to get saved a lot of times than the rich because a lot of times rich people say, I pulled, you know, possibly I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. What do I need Jesus for? Look, I'm healthy. I have my bank account. I have all the things this world has to offer. What did, what did Jesus do for me to give me that? They can look and say, Jesus did nothing for me. Whereas a poor person says, I obviously can't help myself, right? I, I can't feed myself. I can't clothe myself. I need assistance in every sort of situation. Obviously, I, I'm going to need assistance to get myself to heaven. So the poor people are the more likely to turn to Jesus. They're the people that uh, Jesus went a lot of times to talk to because they were the ones who were the most open to receiving his message of salvation. But nobody gets in because you're rich or because you're poor. It's only by faith in Jesus. So two different people, two different qualities of life, two different decisions. And we look as we read through uh, the next couple of verses what those decisions were. Verses 22 to 23, it says, The time came when the beggar died and the angel carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So you have two different men, two different lifestyles, two different uh, decisions are going to create two different destinations. The rich man had to have, at some point in his life, put his faith and his trust in Jesus for salvation. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what this rich or this poor man did. At some point, he said, I'm going to trust Jesus for my salvation. The rich man who had every comfort this life had to offer, he probably had the biggest funeral of anybody in that area. They, they, they could have had the cart loaded with everything that he had, and they said, we're going to bury this with him, and that's exactly where it stayed. It was buried with him. Um, but he made his choice too. He made his choice. He took his jump off the cliff and says, this is what I'm going to rely on. This is what I'm going to count on to get me to heaven. And it wasn't enough. This would be the guy who's relying on being a Jew. We have the law. I have my heritage. I have anything else that you can fit into that category because I don't need this Jesus. And you, you, come, you, you come across... Uh, this, what I said, like how I, I don't know if this is a parable or not because I don't know what really happens. You have this, this picture of Lazarus who's in 
paradise with Abraham, and you have this picture of the rich man who's in hell, or also called Hades at this point, and they're able to look at each other. Is that really going to happen? I really don't want to do that. Okay, if, I'm, if I make it to uh, paradise before, uh, before Jesus comes back to take us home, I don't really want to see who's in Hades, because I don't want to feel bad. I don't want the, the, to say, boy, I wish I thought my wife was going to be there, and look, at here she's not. And I can't do anything about that. I mean, that to me would be a heartbreaking thing to have to go through. But it gives this picture that, that's, that's possibly really true. That when you, you die, you trust Jesus as your Savior, you go to paradise, which is kind of like a holding place for people before you actually get to heaven, even though paradise counts as any place with Jesus. But it also shows the other side where you have this guy who is in Hades. Because he's not in hell uh, specifically yet, because at the end of uh, Revelation, you find out that death and Hades are thrown into hell. So this is a separate place. It's like a holding place for the unsaved. And if they're able to look at each other, it's, very, it's a very scary, a very sad thing. And they cannot get from one place to the other. Abraham wants Lazarus to come down and just take a drip of cool water and put it on his tongue, which I picture like if you have a hot frying pan, and you go with, with a little bit of water, how fast is that gone? It's gone just like now, right? Even if you took an ice cube, it takes very, it's very quickly before that's finally dissolved because of the heat. But he wants just a little bit of water on his tongue, but he can't even have that. We can't go from Hades to paradise or, or reverse, just like we cannot go from heaven to earth uh, after we've passed away. We can't go from hell back to earth, because that's not the way that God has determined it. It is a permanent choice. And right now, you're standing on the edge. You, some of us might be jumping uh, or going to get pushed off here, because that's what it would take for any of those things to get me to do it. You would have to push me off, and some of us are waiting to get pushed off. Some of us have a few feet, because we're in line getting to the edge. But when that point comes, and you take that leap, meaning that you've died, there's nothing that you can do about it. There's no turning back. Let's keep reading here a little bit more. Um, I'm going to start with verse 25. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received his bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, so that you cannot, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there to us. You know, and it's a chasm, it's like a, a space between two places. Now, this isn't something that you can say, okay, I can walk miles and miles to. This isn't like the Gulf of Mexico where you can swim across. This is like you've got the two ledges that you cannot get across, okay? Your airplane can't get you there. Uh, but this is kind of where this, this, this idea breaks down because sometimes people get to the edge of a par with a parachute and they jump. They say, that was fun, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. But when you get to this point where there's this chasm and you want to get from one point to the other, you cannot do it. Once you have jumped, it is too late. And you don't know when your time is coming. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to make sure that you choose Jesus before it's too late. And I, I, I could imagine in a church like this or in a church in America, whoever is preaching some message like this in any church could look and say, you know what? more than likely everybody's saved, or more than likely everybody would say that they're saved, or everybody thinks that I'm saved. And how embarrassing would it be to finally say, you know what, that's not really me. 
I, I'm not really saved. I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I know I played the part. I know I looked the part, but I didn't really do that. And that if that happens to be you, I wouldn't challenge you because you need Jesus still. You, you look good. You're going to get to that edge. And when you're falling, you can't do anything about it. So please, if that happens to be you, don't feel bad. Be encouraged. Be excited because you can have eternal life just like we can have eternal life. This rich man who's down in Hades, he has a lot of good intentions. He would love to get somebody back to go talk to his brothers. But Abraham pretty much tells you, you had your time to, to, to influence them. You had your time to make your own choice. They have their time to make their own choice as well. Verse 27, he says, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not have to come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone rises from the dead and goes to them, they will repent. He said, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You cannot go from back and forth. You cannot go from Hades to earth. You can't go from heaven down to earth. It's, it's once you are there, you are fixed. You are, you are going to stay there. Jesus, or um, uh, Abraham saying, you know what, they're not going to accept it if someone rises from the dead. And guess who rose from the dead? Who was a walking testimony that, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is God's son, and that we need to put our faith in him? Jesus, right? He rose from the dead. He was one that people could, the, the, when the Jews were, or the Israelites, or the, when the disciples were scattered over the whole face of the earth because of persecution, they told people, uh, they were telling them about Jesus and saying, look, this really did happen. In 1 John, he says, we're telling you what we've seen, what we've touched, what we've listened to, what we've looked at to try to convince people that this really did take place. So Jesus did rise from the dead. He was a walking testimony, but people still said, we're not going to accept this. And Abraham's telling, if someone rises from the dead, it is not going to matter either. These guys have to make their choice just like you have to make your choice. So we have two different men. Two different lifestyles, two different choices, two different destinations. And it's the same choice that you are given to, take, to make as well. Everybody is different. Everybody's bank account looks differently. It doesn't matter. Everybody's dressed 